I am Thomas Solomon, and you are listening to the VO2 Podcast. In part one of this series on performance nutrition, you learn how your organ systems fit together, how much fuel you have available in your body, and how metabolism can be measured. You are now ready to understand why the size of your bodily fuel stores, your bucket load of fatty acids and pint glass of glucose are so relevant to performance. If your body stores lots of fat but little carbohydrate, to understand how to optimize your performance, it is useful to know how these fuels are burned during exercise. As you embark on your journey into the world of substrate oxidation, there is an obvious question to ask yourself. How does your body use its stored fuels during exercise? At rest, your body drip feeds energy from its fuel stores to keep all your basic functions plodding along. The amount of energy you burn at rest is your resting metabolic rate, your RMR. When you get up and start moving, the rate at which energy is used increases above your resting metabolic rate, and this increase is relative to the rate of work, or intensity, of your movement. For example, when you stand up, there is a small increase in your energy expenditure above resting levels. When you walk slowly, say 3 km per hour, there is about a twofold increase in energy expenditure. A tenfold increase if you run at 10 km per hour and a 20-fold increase if you run at 10 kilometers an hour up a 10% incline. You can conceptualize this as follows. The increase in your rate of energy expenditure in kilocalories per minute is proportional to the increase in your work rate, your intensity. And the total amount of energy used in kilocalories is proportional to your total duration of work in minutes. During physical work, i.e. exercise, the kilocalories or kilojoules predominantly come from fatty acids and glucose. Your muscles burn fatty acids taken up from those circulating in the blood and from those broken down from fat droplets stored in your muscle cells, aka intramyocellular triglycerides, IMTG. Your muscles also burn glucose, taken up from the blood and glucose broken down from glycogen stored within your muscles. Within your muscle cells, chemical energy, ATP, is generated from fatty acids and glucose by oxygen requiring, i.e. aerobic, oxidative processes in the mitochondria, plus a little bit coming from glucose via non-oxygen requiring, aka anaerobic, non-oxidative processes outside the mitochondria. Compared to regular folks, endurance athletes have adapted to store large amounts of IMTG and glycogen in their muscles, and they have adapted to store the majority of IMTG and glycogen right where they are needed, next to the mitochondria. Plus, endurance athletes have more mitochondria and higher activities of their metabolic enzymes, allowing athletes to produce more energy more efficiently than regular folks. Pretty darn cool. But it gets a little more complicated than that, because as your rate of work increases, 
different types of fuel are preferentially used to produce the energy you need. It is a bit like fatty acids and glucose start competing to be the ones that are burned. I want to jump in the fire. No, I want to jump in the fire. Weirdos. How do we know this? The first observations that the body burns different proportions of fat and carbohydrate to produce energy during exercise were made in 1920 by Algus Crow and Johannes Lindart. Much subsequent work added to our knowledge, but in the 1990s a series of highly detailed mechanistic studies from the labs of Bob Wolf and Anton Wagemakers used stable isotopes of glucose and palmitate, a fatty acid, combined with indirect calorimetry and tissue biopsies to measure whole body and tissue-specific glucose and fatty acid flux, aka the rate of transport from the blood into tissues and vice versa, as well as oxidation, the rate of burning, during low, moderate and high-intensity exercise in trained cyclists and untrained folks. These studies firstly showed that the high level of adipose tissue lipolysis, i.e. the fat breakdown in fat tissue, does not further increase with increasing exercise intensities. But intramuscular lipolysis, i.e. fat broken down from the store within muscle, does increase with increasing intensity. However, adipose tissue release fatty acids into the blood and this decreases with increasing exercise intensity, causing a reduced availability of fatty acids in the blood during higher exercise intensities. This might imply that the decrease in fat burning with increasing exercise intensity is possibly due to the lower amount of fatty acids available in the blood. That aside, the decrease in fatty acid availability with increasing exercise intensity is compensated for by an increase in glucose availability, as shown by increasing glucose appearance into the blood from the liver with increasing exercise intensity and a corresponding increase in glucose burning. Say what? To summarise that rant, your body always makes fuel available to the working muscle to support the increasing energy requirement as exercise intensity increases. And there is an intensity-dependent change in the relative contribution of different types of fuel from fatty acids to glucose as exercise intensity increases. Next, it was found that during prolonged exercise, two hours, blood glucose is used to produce energy at low, moderate and high intensities. Over a two-hour moderate intensity bout, for example, blood glucose use and blood fatty acid use progressively increase while muscle glycogen and muscle fat use decrease because the muscle's available glycogen and IMTG stores become depleted. The important take-home from that is your muscles always use blood glucose even during low-intensity exercise, putting pressure on the liver to release enough glucose to prevent hypoglycemia, low blood sugar. Next, if an endurance-trained athlete and an untrained person complete a prolonged two-hour workout at the same absolute workload, 
i.e. both riding at 150 watts or both running at 12 kilometers per hour, the total energy burned kilocalories per hour is about the same, but the trained folks burn way more fat and way less glucose. In fact, the lower glucose oxidation rate in a trained athlete is explained by a lesser reliance on muscle glycogen use and liver-derived blood glucose use. This means that endurance training causes fat adaptation to help spare your precious glycogen stores during exercise. But you probably already knew that. Finally, this series of studies showed that as a trained athlete makes the transition from moderate to high-intensity exercise, roughly the equivalent as transitioning from your easy run pace to your marathon pace, fatty acid oxidation rates, fat burning, decrease, while glucose oxidation, glucose burning of glucose taken up from the blood and glucose broken down from muscle glycogen, increase. These observations contribute to those which led George Brooks to, to develop his crossover concept, the point at which you switch from predominantly fat to predominantly carbohydrate use during increasing intensity of exercise. And you can read more about that in my previous post at vo2.com forward slash fat oxidation rates. Furthermore, these studies found that the decrease in fat burning is explained by a decrease in the use of fatty acids freely circulating in the blood and a decrease in the use of fatty acids broken down from triglycerides circulating in the blood and a decrease in the fatty acids broken down from the triglycerides stored within the muscle, within IMTG, intramyocellular triglyceride. Plus, with increasing intensity, the activity of the enzyme that shuttles fatty acids into the muscle's mitochondria so they can be burned was also found to be decreased. In other words, fatty acid delivery to the mitochondria, which is the part of the muscle that burns fat to produce energy, is decreased as exercise intensity increases. What can you put in your performance nutrition toolbox? So, coming back to that question, how does your body use its stored fuels, its bucket load of fatty acids and its pint glass of glucose during exercise? The important nuggets of my rant to embed in your cerebellum are that number one, increasing your intensity during exercise, moving faster, will increase your muscles reliance on glucose to produce energy. And number two, because your muscles always burn glucose, even during low exercise intensities, long duration exercise will eventually deplete available glucose stored in your body. This knowledge might prompt an obvious question. How long will your bodily fuel stores allow you to go? Well, tune in for the next part of this series to find out. Until then, keep training smart. I occasionally mention brands and products, but it is important to know that I am not sponsored by or receiving advertisement royalties from anyone. I have conducted biomedical research for which I have received research money from publicly funded national research councils and medical charities. 
and also from private companies, including Novo Nordisk Foundation, AstraZeneca, Amelin, the AP Muller Foundation, and the Augustinus Foundation. These companies had no control over the research design, data analysis, or publication outcomes of my work. Any recommendations I make are, and always will be, based on my own views and opinions shaped by the evidence available. The information I provide is not medical advice. Before making any changes to your habits of daily living based on any information I provide, always ensure it is safe for you to do so and consult your doctor if you are ever unsure.